Good morning, church. Well, we are deep in our series in 1 Peter, and so we are just going to go right to it. But first, I wanted to remind us a little bit of the context, because if you understand the context, and then you read the words that we're going to go into today, the words are going to be that more powerful. They're going to, they're going to make more sense. There's going to be a vibrancy to those words. Now, what's the context? Well, if you remember, Peter is writing to a community that's really going through some hard times. Like, how many of you right now, you're either going through a hard time or you know someone who's going through a hard time, you know? So this is a very relevant book. And a bit of the context, now I want you to do a little bit of soul searching right now, all right? Um, when you go through a hard time, you're, 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 there's some pain in your life, you're struggling, there's, there's a sense of suffering. What are some not so helpful negative ways that you can respond? Are you aware of that? Maybe you've seen it in other people. Like maybe right now you can identify one of those. I'm just going to list a few, but I'm going to focus on one that really kind of sort of relates to our passage today. Well, one thing that people tend to do is they try to escape. It's just too much for them to handle, so they try to go someplace where they don't have to think about it. And some of that escape can be like an addiction. You know, it can be like stuff on the internet that you shouldn't be looking at, stuff like that, right? So escape is one way that we can deal with it that's sort of negative. Um, here's another one. This was very personal to me. Like when I'm going through a lot of stuff, I tend to go inward. I wake up in the morning, the first person I'm thinking about is me, you know? There can be an incredible amount of self-absorption when you're going through some pain and suffering. What about being isolated? There's some people that when they're going through hard stuff, they rush towards community. They lean on friends. And, and other people, they actually just pull back. They pull away. They isolate themselves. What about this one? Retaliate. Like, if there is a human agent to your suffering, the most natural thing to do is you, you want to get even. You, you want to get, you want to fight back. I mean, if they have insulted you, you want to insult them. If they've hurt you, you want to injure them. And it's very unnatural, in a sense, to forgive. But this is the one that I want to focus on. And I know that this totally happens to me, and, and maybe it happens to you. I'm, I'm pretty sure this is a universal human experience, that when we're going through suffering, a really hard time, we start to forget who we are and why we're here. It's a very common thing. And there's a voice that comes. Sometimes you don't know where it's coming from. It's like coming from inside. Sometimes you feel like it's inside you. And, and sometimes you feel like, you know, there's like a dark presence to this voice. But it, 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 it speaks to you. And it's whispering lies to you. I'm just wondering if you guys ever get that. For me, some of those lies sound like, Andrew, you are a loser. You can't do anything right. 
Sometimes when I'm in the middle of something, I hear a voice that says, you know, God does not care about you. He has abandoned you. Why are you living for him when he treats you like this? And sometimes we can buy into those lies. So there's all sorts of negative ways to respond to suffering. I, I think Peter knows this. I think Peter gets this. And right now, here are some words of Peter straight to us. And in essence, I feel like Peter is saying, look, I want you to remember who you are. Did you forget? This is who you are. And this is why you're here. These are words of identity. And Caitlin's going to come up here and just read two verses. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of structure even before she reads, okay? But, but still, get on up here. Um, there's going to be six descriptions that Peter uses of who believers are. How many descriptions? Okay. But one purpose statement. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm loading this all up front so that when you see it, you can start identifying. Because in a little bit, I'm going to have you start identifying. So uh, you should get ready. Six descriptions of who you are. One purpose statement of why we're here. Six descriptions of who you are. One purpose statement of why you're here. These are words of Peter. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. And once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Just two verses. Now, I, it was interesting. We were going through these two verses with the staff team, and we listed out all six descriptions. And for each of these, I said, is this identity or is this behavior? And it was like, okay, this is identity. And we did the second one, identity or behavior, identity. We went through all six, and for most of them, it was identity. Clearly, these are words of identity from Peter. Peter is going, look, I know in the craziness of things, you might have lost sight of who you are. You might have lost sight of why we are here. And here I want to remind you, this is who we are, and this is why we're here. Six descriptions of who you are, one description of why you're here. It's all there in that passage. And I think the main idea for why, I mean, does, does Peter not care about conduct and behavior? Of course he cares. But here is Peter's thinking. Who you are and knowing who you are determines what you do. And so Peter right now is focusing on do you know who you are? And he gives six descriptions. Now, this is what I want you to do. I want you to turn to someone next to you. No, no, no. What I want you to do is for 30 seconds, I want you to look at these two verses. And I want you to identify all six descriptions. There is a purpose statement. You can identify that and hold that on to later. If you look in your bulletin, there's an outline. There's six blanks. You can write it there. This is where we're going for the message. And then, 30 seconds later, I'm going to have you turn to someone next to you. And you're going to choose one of those descriptions. And you're just going to put in your own words, okay? All right. 30 seconds. Identify six descriptions. Go.
Ten more seconds. All right, now I would like you to turn to a neighbor. You can do like threes, but preferably twos because we don't have much time. And I want you just to choose one of these descriptions and clothe it in your own words, okay? Each person gets 15 seconds. Go. Five more seconds. All right, now can I have the other person share? 15 seconds. Choose one, clothe in your own words. Okay, all right. Now, um, if at any point in this message, if you get lost, just know I'm going through all six descriptions, one purpose statement, and then you'll, you'll, you'll track with me, okay? So can we identify all six? Number one, this number one is what? You are a chosen race. Okay, number two, you are a, okay, okay. But can we put a little bit more, like, zip into it? Like, royal priesthood. That's not very inspiring. Like, royal priesthood. Okay. Number three is holy nation. All right. Number four is. Yeah, number four, a little confusing. Uh, God's own possession. Number five is God's people. You are God's people. And number six is. People who have received mercy. Okay, now let's, let's go through each one of these. Not going to be exhaust, exhaustive. I'm going to try not to be. We're going to cover each one. Some of them are going to expand a little bit more, take us a little further. But here we go. A chosen race. Now, don't get caught up on race, okay? I was looking at a different translation. It said chosen generation. The idea here is people group. Chosen people group. So the emphasis can't be on the second one. I really think it's on the first one. You are chosen. That's a theme that's woven throughout this book. You are chosen. Now look, when you're going through suffering, the last thing you feel is chosen. And here is Peter going, make no mistake. You are chosen. You are loved by God. So if you believe today, you need to know that you were chosen a long, long time ago. God loves you, and he chose you. So it means that Monday morning, when you're, um, you wake up in the morning, and you're washing your face, and you're looking in the mirror, I don't know what you think when you see that face looking back at you. But when you look at that person, you need to know that person is chosen. Can you turn to the person next to you and say, you are chosen? Okay. If you believe right now, if you believe today, it means that you were chosen a long time ago. If you don't believe right now, but at some point in the future you believe, it still means you were chosen a long time ago. I've probably told you this story. My father-in-law for the longest time did not believe, did not believe. 
And one day his wife gives him one of those Christian tracts. And he's reading the track, and there's that prayer in the end. And he's thinking, I'm going to pray that prayer, and then afterwards I'm going to tell my wife, and she's going to get really excited. And then I'm going to say to her, don't get too excited because it didn't work. So he prayed the prayer, and there was a light switch in heaven that went on. And to this day, he has just not stopped believing. He became a part-time missionary. He became chairman of the board. He believes today because he was chosen a long time ago. And so what are you? You are a chosen people. You are a chosen people. And if that makes you feel special, it's supposed to. God loves you, and he made that choice out of love. Number two, you are a royal priesthood. You are a royal priesthood. Now, again, I want you to take a long, searching look at the person that's next to you. And I don't know what you're thinking, but if that person is in Christ, that person is royalty. It's almost like, do you have any idea who the person next to you who believes is? That person is a son or a daughter of the high king. Now, that's a big deal. Now, again, on Monday morning when you're looking in the mirror, I don't, I don't know who you, who you think you're looking at. But the scripture here is saying you are royalty. That person that is looking back at you is a son or a daughter of the high king. Now, how was that made possible? It's one of the reasons Jesus died on the cross for us. It was a great position that he bought with his blood. That means that you are a son or a daughter of the high king. That's a big deal. Now, what about the second part? Priesthood. This is the last time I'm going to ask you to do this, but I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, you are a priest. Go. But you got to say it with a little bit more zip. You, know, you are a priest. That's not inspiring. You're a priest. Come on, preach it. Okay. That person, if they believe, is a priest. A priest. A priest. A priest. No, look, you guys are looking at me like, these are not my words. This is Peter. He is saying, you are a royal priesthood. Now, in the Reformation, there was uh, a lot of theology around, around this. This is the doctrine of uh, the priesthood of all believers, right? And it's based on verses like this. It means all of us. Now, I know you're looking at me, you're thinking, yeah, you're a pastor. No, you are all pastors, you are all priests. Now, let me clarify what I mean by this. Now, priest meant a lot to the apostle Peter. These are not wasted words. This image, this role, this function, it means a lot to Peter. Now, what did it mean? What did it mean in an Old Testament context? Well, a priest is not just something you do. But a priest is something that you are. It's identity first, and then the behavior flows from that identity. Just like what you do flows from who you are. And Peter says, look, you're all priests. You're all pastors. Now, in an Old Testament context, what is a priest? Well, it works like this. If I am a priest and you offer sacrifices to me, it means that God has just accepted your sacrifice. 
Now, just imagine, you're putting that out there. You're wondering, does God accept this? And when the priest receives it, you're like, whew, God has just received my sacrifice. That's a big deal. And it works the same. Like if you're offering a peace offering and the, the priest receives it and eats it, then it means that God has just chosen to fellowship with you. It means a lot. A priest represents God. You represent God. Do you realize that? Uh, I, I wanted to be honest with you and... Uh, and, and give you a bit of a, conf- a confession. I'm not perfect. When I was in high school, I would smoke. I'd appreciate it if you didn't tell my kids that, or my wife that, or the board that. But I would smoke. And I'm going to be honest with you, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, don't tell any of those people that I really enjoyed it, but I did. It, it, it was, for me, it... I, I really enjoyed it. I'm just not going to go on and, and keep, I, I just really enjoyed it. It was really enjoyable for me in high school. But at some point, I felt called to ministry. And I realized, you know, smoking is probably not a good look for a pastor. So I'm probably, I'm not going to smoke anymore. And I made that decision sometime in college. Now, uh, here's the thing. Um, never told you this part, but... Um, a couple years ago, something happened, and it, it did happen at church. I can't go into it. I shouldn't go into it. I won't go into it, but something happened, and I was emotionally and mentally and physically just frazzled. You know, I was just so wound up, and I didn't know what to do, and so I was going for a walk, and I bumped into a guy who was smoking, and <laughs> yeah, I asked him for a cigarette, and yeah, he gave me one. And yes, I smoked it. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. I'm not going to lie to you. It was a really good cigarette. And I, I came back home and I went to sleep and I woke up the next day and I felt better. But um, here's the thing. I woke up in the morning and I had this incredible desire to smoke another cigarette. I wanted to go to the store and buy a pack of smokes. I wanted to start packing it, you know. And I didn't know what to do. And I started to sort of justify. I started to think, you know, look, why is smoking a sin? Because it's unhealthy, so is eating a bag of potato chips. So no one gives that a bad rap, right? And then I, you know, I just started to justify. And, but, but I was just like, no, Andrew, you, you, you're a pastor. You, you, you can't, you, you don't want the, the youth to be watching you smoking, right? And if you do that and you're hiding, then you're kind of living, you're well on your way to hypocrisy. And so I'm like, okay, Lord, I am not going to smoke. I won't. And so what I did is I went for a walk and I went around the lagoon and I was feeling some of that still kind of being wound up. And so you know what I did? I I imaginary smoked. You know, and I'll tell you, it doesn't work. And I'm just like, you know, uh, I'm not feeling, this sucks, but I did it. And then I, 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 I did it, and then I stopped. And then I looked to my left, and the son of the, this is true, this happened. The son of the chairman of the board rode by. Oh, hi, Pastor Andrew. Oh, hi, Devin. 
you know, you know, it's not a real thing, you know. And then, I, and then 10 seconds later, the chairman of our board at the time rode by on his bike. Hi, Pastor Andrew. Oh, hi. Hi, Bo- hi Bruce. You know, I'm walking. Hey, cool. All right, nice to see you. Yeah, it's good. All right. And I kept on walking, right? And now, I got to tell you, I have walked that trail dozens and dozens, and I have never once seen them on that trail. That one time. And it's like God was giving me a loud message. He's like, Andrew, I, I affirm your decision. Do you know who you are? You are a priest. And people are watching you. And you represent God. What you do matters. People are watching you. Uh, I think it was Pope John that said, when he's in a room, you know, like in a normal room, a beautiful woman walks in. A lot of the men look at the beautiful woman. He goes, it's different when I'm in the room. That's what Pope John, I think, would say. He would say, when, when a beautiful woman walks in the room and I'm in the room, most of the men look at me. <laughs> they look at where I'm looking because he's the Pope. Do you understand you represent God to the people at school? If they know you're a Christian, you represent God in what you do and what you say. When you're at work, if, you're, if your uh, co-workers are not believers, they're looking at you as the representative of God. You are a priest. Do you understand who you are? And in this context, you know, there were people who were hating on Christians. And the Christians were very tempted just to retaliate. And Peter's like, no, 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 no. Do you know who you are? Do you know why you're here? You're a priest. You represent God. You represent God. You are a priest. And Peter continues on. He says, uh, we are a people for his own possession. He said before that, holy nation. We are a holy nation. Now, I want to uh, explain to you what holy means. Holy means uh, to be called out. So I'll give you an example. All of you are sitting down. I am calling Chris Wong out to stand up. And to cry out with a loud voice, yay, God. No, 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 loud voice, yay, God. Okay, thank you, Chris. Now, now, now it, what he did was very different. What he did stood up, stood out. Well, literally, he stood out, right? Everyone was sitting down. God was calling a different group of people for a different purpose. You are a holy nation. You are set apart. For his purposes. Now, when you think of like holy nation, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Holy nation. Don't you guys kind of think of like when you've last heard something nation? You think dub nation, right? You guys are thinking that, right? You guys are thinking that. Dub, no. <laughs> so I was like, no, I wasn't thinking that at all. Dub nation, holy nation. It's the same idea, right? 
You are a people who is separated out from the Bay Area, and you go wild at anything Steph Curry-oriented, right? And you make yourself different. You wear jerseys. You put flags on your car. You chant, like, let's go. Or you do, right? They're different. They stand out. And actually, it's pretty contagious. Just imagine God saying to us, you guys are a holy nation. And you stand out, too. And you are wild about everything that is Jesus Christ-oriented. And it's contagious. It's the same idea. You're a holy nation. You're a dub nation. You are God's nation. A people for his own possession. Let's talk about that one a little bit. You are a people of God's own possession. Now, in an American context, if I were to say to you, you are possessed by God, like you belong to God. In an American context, it's kind of offensive to think that another human being would belong to someone else or that you're someone else's property. You're like, no one, I don't, no one owns me, right? In, in America, it's like you are free and true freedom is like you get to determine who you are and what you want to do. And here Peter's like, no, 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 no. Don't you understand? True freedom is knowing who you are in Christ and doing what God has called you to do. You belong to someone. You belong to Jesus. You are God's property. You are God's property. All right, now, after number four, then we get the purpose statement, right? I told you there's six descriptions, one purpose statement. What is that purpose statement? Um, Tom, can you go back to the scripture? Okay, there you go. You got chosen race, you got royal priesthood, you got holy nation, you got a people for his own possession, and then you have right in the middle the purpose statement. Now let's read that together. That, I mean together. Yeah, not the other kind of together where it's just me. Um, That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Here's Peter like, look, I know in the middle of all the craziness, it's easy to forget a lot of things, but I don't want you to forget who you are and why you're here. This is the one purpose statement that Peter gives us. Peter's like, this is why you're here. I don't know, did you forget that? It's so easy for us to forget Peter says, you are here to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's reason number one why you exist, why you're on the planet, why God has called you and separated you unto himself to proclaim his excellencies. Do you know that? Do you resonate with that? Like inside of you, like, yes. That is why I'm here. A couple years ago, a couple years ago, I, I went to a funeral of a woman that I never met. But I heard that she loved God, that she was very active in her church. 
And so I don't know about you, but when you go to a funeral of someone who has really spent their life loving God, you, well, I really look forward to going. Because I feel like I'm, I'm looking forward to being inspired. And there are times when I hear about a, a life that's well lived, you know, someone who really loved other people, someone who really loved the Lord, and I'd leave and just go, yes, yes, yes. And so I was, I was kind of looking forward to it. And so I, I, I went to the funeral. Now, um, it, this, I know this happens very rarely for me, but I was late. I was really late. And so I missed the first half of the funeral. But I did come during the open mic time. And maybe that's like the best time. You ever been to a funeral where there's the open mic? And the good part is, like, it's not scripted. You don't know what's going to come out, right? But the bad part is, like, it's not scripted, and so you never know what's going to come out. And so there was various people who got up and just shared. And, you know, one person talked about, well, she was, you know, she was in the Polynesian Dancing Club, and another person got up, and she was in the Cal Alumni Association, and, and another person got up, and she was, like, the Flying Tigers, and another person got up, and he was, she was... Um, she was in another da- ballroom dancing club, you know. And so a lot of people got up and shared. But here I was, and I was feeling kind of restless, and I was feeling kind of disappointed. Because here is a woman who really loved God, who really honored God with her life. But with all the people who got up to share, none of that really reflected that. And I was like, this is kind of so sad. Here's this woman who really honored God, but at her memorial service, most of the sharing, it seems like all the sharing is, it is not even mentioning God at all. And I was really sad. I was actually feeling kind of depressed. And then, Lonnie Aoyoung stood up. Y'all know Lonnie? She normally sits about there. And she stood up. And she said, you know, I know a lot of you because we used to go to church together. And, uh, if Aunt Lizzie were here today, I know what she would say. She would say, I would love you all to know Jesus Christ, the Jesus that I know, who is my Lord and Savior. And she, she got up and she said that. And, and, and she said, and, and if you do, I know you, a, lot, a lot of you have since left the church, but if you do, if you do come to know Jesus and put your trust in him, then you're going to see Lizzie again, and you're going to spend eternity with Jesus and her for the rest of your life. And here was me. I was just sitting there just going, yes, you know, just like I wanted to stand and be like, I'm her pastor, right? I was really proud. It was a really proud pastor moment. Here was a woman getting up. And no one was really re- represented, and I don't blame them because they don't really know Jesus, and so their value isn't that. But here is this woman saying, look, no, I, I want you to know. I want to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And that's what we do. That's what we're about, you know. And we do this in all these different ways through texts and through cards, through one-on-one conversations. We do this um, in what we say, but we also do it in what we do. And we do this in what we do, but we also do this in what we say. We have been called to proclaim the excellencies of him 
who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Well, number five. Here Peter says once, now he's quoting Hosea. He says, once you were a people with no identity, but now you are God's people. He says, once you were a people who had zero identity, or maybe another way to say that is that you had your identity based on false things. False things. Like your performance. False things. Like how popular you are. Your approval rating. And, and here's the thing, when you base your identity on false things, sometimes you're riding high, a lot of times you're riding low. And here is Peter saying, you know, if you're a Christian, you should say and be refused to identify those things and say, I will not be identified by those false things, not by, by performance, not by how much people like me. I am identified by God. God alone identifies who I am, and I am God's people. Number five, God's people. And number six, people who have received mercy. People who have received mercy. Now, it's interesting. If I look at the first five, it seems to lean a certain way. If I look at the first five, there seems to be a leaning on holiness, and it leads me to kind of think, that we are here as a sort of museum of saints. That people might come here and they might take a look at our lives. And they would see the radiance and the beauty of Christ. Ah, but number six is different, isn't it? Number six kind of casts light to the other side. It provides balance. Number six basically says, look, we are not just a museum of saints. But we are a hospital for sinners. And people come here, broken people, and they find grace, and they find healing, and they find God's love, and they find hope. This is a place for broken people to know God's love and to be healed by God's love. And I think of all people, it's Peter who would know the difference. If there is a person in the Bible who would say, like, I am here and I'm here by the mercy of God, I think it would be Peter. Now, let me explain why I think that. And really, I'm just closing with this story. Uh, what is Peter's name? It was Simon. That was the name that was given to him by his biological parents. But we know that he didn't go by that name you know what Peter's name means? It means the rock, right? And the person that gave him that name was Jesus. Now, this is way before Rocky Balboa. This is way before Dwayne Johnson, our next president, right? Like, Peter was the original Rocky. Am I right, right? Now, in, 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 in Greek, like, as far as we know, the rock was not a name given to a person. He may very well be the first person with the Greek name, the rock. Now, when was he given that name? Did you know that name was confirmed and permanently given to him on this one day that I believe sort of defined Peter and his life? I, I bet you if Peter had a very high day where he was like, this day defined my life, he would probably share this story. Jesus asked him and the rest of his brothers, 
And I'm paraphrasing here, but it's sort of like, I know who other people think I am, but who do you think I am? And Peter looked at Jesus and everything inside him just resonated. He knew because what he was about to say was being heavenly inspired. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus turned back to Peter and it was kind of like, now let me tell you who you are. You are the rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. Now, I want you to think, what was that doing for Peter? I have just found my name on the very moment that I identified Jesus for his excellencies. His very identity is I am someone who declares and proclaims that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's a big deal in terms of identity formation. You could say that whoever... Whatever Peter did was a product of who he was. And Peter, when he identified Jesus, uh, Peter was named the rock. But I just kind of imagine if Peter were here, if Peter were here, he would probably say something like, I know they called me the rock, but I totally did not deserve that name. You don't understand. I did not deserve being called like the original Rocky. I think Peter would say, and I put this in my letter, that if you really want to test the quality of a rock that has gold in it, what you do is you stick it in the fire. And I think Peter would say, I got stuck in the fire. I was tested to see if I really was a rock. I was tested the moment that Jesus was arrested and he was being interrogated. I think Peter would say, I followed at a distance. And I made it all the way to the courtyard. And Jesus was being interrogated and the whole council was there and I was in the courtyard. And then I got ID'd. Of all people, by by a servant girl. Oh, really threatening. A harmless servant girl said, aren't you one of the disciples who follow Jesus? That's not you. Is that you? And here I am, the rock. And I looked at that harmless little girl and I said, no, that's not me. That's not me. And then, you know what I did? I split. I just went to somewhere else where she wasn't. And I went to this other place where there was a fire and I'm warming myself by the fire and I got ID'd again. This time it was by a man. He said, aren't you one of them who was with Jesus? And I said, no, that's not me. But then... A third time this happened, and this time it was by a guy who was a relative of the person that I got into a kerfuffle with in the garden, but that's another story. And so he, like, really ID'd me. He was like, no, 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 you were there. You were there. And you know what I did? I said, look, I will be damned to hell if that's me. All right? I swear to you, I was not there. I'm not him. I'm not with him. And at that moment, the rooster crowed. And I, I just wept bitterly. I just wept. Well, you know, after that, Jesus was killed. And then three days later, he rose from the grave. And then um, sometime shortly thereafter, uh, I was fishing with the guys. And there was a stranger on the shore. And he was like, friends! Have you caught anything? 
and we didn't, and then he started yelling instructions. We're like, why not? And we, we pulled up this huge net full of big fish. And then one of us, I think it was John, that said, it's the Lord. And I just went out of my mind, and I just, I just, I threw myself into the water, and I just started swimming to shore, you know. And Jesus was there. And he was making breakfast for us. And I just, I remember being there. And I remember I was eating some bread. And Jesus was right about there. And there was like a stony silence between us. I don't know if he felt it, but I felt it. And I felt it because I knew what I thought he knew, which is that he gave me the rock, but I did not live up to that at all. I mean, he shouldn't have called me the rock. He should have called me the failure. He should have called me the big letdown. Because at his moment when he needed me most, I was made of nothing. I totally failed him. And I was feeling that. Lord, you're about to leave. You put all your hopes on me. I think you made a mistake on me. And during that stony silence, Jesus said to me, Simon, do you love me more than these? And I said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And he said, feed my sheep. Then he said it a second time. He said, Simon, do you love me more than these? And I looked at him and I said, Lord, you know I love you. And he said to me, feed my sheep, tend my lambs. And then he said it a third time. He said, Simon, do you truly love me more than these? And I said, Lord, you know that I love you, you know all things. And he said, feed my sheep. You see, three times I failed him. And three times he restored me and said, Peter, I still believe in you. You are still my rock. So when Peter said, you were once people without mercy, but now you have received mercy. Here's a man who knows what he's talking about. You are people of God's mercy. And so from that mercy, you proclaim his excellencies to the world. Lord, I thank you that within this community, you are the one who defines us. You are the one who comes to us and says, this is who you are. Father, I know that we cannot live by all these things that you have called us to live without knowing first your mercy and your grace. I pray in the places where we feel like, I don't deserve to be called this. I don't deserve to be chosen. I don't deserve to be a priest. I thank you for your amazing grace. And because of your infinite mercy, because of what Jesus did, we can represent you to this world and to others. I pray for the faith. I pray for the power. 
to be able to do so. In Jesus' name.